Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. Because then it would be Cleveland's the only place, and he played here the longest, that he doesn't win two rings. And if that doesn't sit well with people, I know how people can be when it comes to LeBron. All right, we'll do that coming up. But right now we go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. He covers the NFL for NFL.com, but he is a Cleveland native Nick Shook joining us on the hotline. Nick, what's going on, my man? Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, it's a, it's it, we're hitting the, uh, the the slightly slower period of the NFL season where you know we get the OTAs in and we get the mini camps in and everything else. But uh, summer, that little tiny period <laughs> in which you don't pay attention to football, almost here. Yeah, you're you're bringing us into that phase of the season for sure. And and it was a good time for you, I know, to. Uh, be able to move. You picked the right time of year to do it. We were talking about this uh, little peek behind the curtain here as I was trying to get Nick on the, the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, he was moving. He had some stuff going on. But I was going to ask you, Nick, did you guys move yourself or did you actually have movers come do it? Uh, it was a combo. Um, okay. I, I got, a, I got a, a bit of a back issue, so I don't do the <laughs> biggest, heaviest, bulky stuff anymore. And so I got some movers, and then I realized I was still moving some big, heavy, bulky stuff afterwards. So. It was a process. It was about yeah. a five-day process. Well, the pro- the reason I ask is because when my- we moved uh, in December, my wife and I and our uh, now 11-month-old, and we like I, I was adamant, like, we're just going to do it ourselves. We were coming out of a condo. We didn't have as much stuff. I was like, we can do this ourselves. It's not a big deal. I had some friends come and help me move this stuff. And I walked away from it like we were exhausted, but I walked away from it feeling like, well, it went smoothly, like nothing broke. It was good. The rental went fine. No issues there. We saved the money. But my wife, when I bring it up, she just has like this like doomsday look on her face. Like she's she every time I bring it up, she's like, I don't know. We're never doing that again. It was terrible. And I was like, I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> I went through the same experience the last. Well, the first time when I moved here from L.A. to Cleveland, um, I brought my girlfriend, now fiance, with me and. When we moved into our first place, it was like February, and and it was in Ohio <laughs> City, and it, we did the moving truck and everything, and there was a long flight of stairs we had to go up and down, and she has the same exact reaction whenever we talk about that move. So the last two moves, uh, about 90% of the work I've done on my own uh, because she's had other things to attend to, so she doesn't have the same reaction, but I'm not surprised to hear that your wife <laughs> felt similarly about moving on your own. Yeah, she was not a fan of it. We were like, never again. I was like, okay, fine. I, I really didn't think it was that bad. Uh, Nick Shook joining us on the hotline. Uh, Browns on Friday, really, you know, you talk about it being kind of the start of the dead time of year for the NFL, but uh, Andrew Barry kind of gave us a zinger here, making the trade for Zadarius Smith. Obviously a guy who's probably past his prime years as he gets past the age of 30, but just what did you think of this move for Cleveland and what does it do from them from a roster standpoint? Well, I, I mean, I went to this 
basically the, the post free agency period, you know, after you get the, the first few waves of the frenzy. And I thought to myself, well, there's, there's no way that that's how they're going to end the season. Like they're going to make another addition at that position. It's just, it's not rock solid enough with enough veteran talent uh, to, to really feel confident about going into the season. They did that last year, defensive tackle, and they paid the price for it. So I felt as if, you know, with what Jim Schwartz wants to do with that front seven, um, that they were going to have to add somebody else. And, and I thought about a few guys who were available in free agency. I wasn't quite certain that they would make a trade, but this trade makes tons of sense. And, you know, part of it is because of his age. It's, it's essentially financially another one-year Clowney deal, except you're probably going to get a guy who's more productive than Clowney's been. You know, that might sound like uh, blasphemy to some people who really enjoyed Jadavion Clowney throughout his career, but let's face it, the production has not always been there. Zadarius Smith, in the last four seasons, three of them he's had double-digit sacks. The one year he didn't was when he only played one game when he got hurt with Green Bay. That was 2021. Last year he had 10 sacks uh, in what is effectively was his age 30 season. He's coming up on 31 in September now. And I don't anticipate, um, you know, anything less from him. You know, he, he got like a few kind of like fringe votes for comeback player of the year last year, but uh, just because he came back from injury. But otherwise, I mean, this is what he's been for the majority of his career since his final days in Baltimore. You know, that, that Baltimore team back then, they had a number of guys that they were looking at having to retain within that year and the year after, one of them being Matthew Judon. There was a few other ones as well. And I was kind of surprised to let, see them let him walk, but you can't keep everyone. Green Bay, you know, they benefited from having him. He had 26 sacks in his first two seasons with the Packers. And like I said, that only that one season in which he wasn't injured was the only time he hasn't hit double-digit sacks in the last four years. So um, at 30 years old, if you're still getting 10 sacks on a Vikings defense, we were playing across from Daniil Hunter and uh, now current teammate Dalvin Tomlinson, who was in Minnesota with, uh, with the Vikings back then, um, I feel like you're probably going to be able to continue producing. And the fact it's a one-year deal, they restructured it to $11 million, doesn't cost him too much. He can get his free agency the next year if he wants to sign wherever else, kind of pull the clowny and just take one-year deal by uh, year by year. Uh, he can do that as well. But for 2023, playing across from Miles Garrett, you now have your bookend defensive ends, both with experience, both proven that they can you know, hit double-digit sacks and, and cause pressure. And you also have the other guys that everybody else was excited about adding this offseason. And, uh, and you're going to be able to rotate those guys, which is going to be a huge part of this defense this year. Talking with Nick Shook here on the hotline. You can follow him on Twitter, at the Nick Shook. Uh, with that in mind, this is the Darius Smith trade on Friday and just everything that's kind of transpired this offseason – it certainly feels like Andrew Barry has done his job and has sort of put the ball now in Kevin Stefanski's court and said, all right, it's up to you now. Do you think that if things went sideways this season, so they don't make the playoffs, maybe they finish 7-10 and 10 again, do you think that Andrew Barry's done enough where maybe he would survive something like that and be sort of the guy leading this next phase, looking for the next head coach? Or do you think there's sort of a package deal where it wouldn't just be Stefanski getting the blame in a situation like that? I think that Barry would be able to survive that. And, you know, if you if you need an example, just think about the narrative surrounding just Brown's fan talk. And I usually don't lean on this kind of stuff, but I think it is kind of indicative of, of what Barry's done in his time with the Browns, which is every year it's the first comment is, you know, from a Browns fan is, oh, we have the roster, and then they just have to produce, and they usually don't produce. And they have the roster this year again, I think. Um, I think he's done a really good job in filling the holes that he needed to in the offseason. You know, linebacking core, people are going to be worried about that. It wasn't a good linebacker draft, so I kind of understand that, that they're just going to proceed as is um, with that position group. But if you think about the back end, you know, MJ Emerson was a good pick in the third round last year. They built a pretty solid secondary. They admitted fault with the John Johnson signing, cut him. 
signed Juan Thornhill, um, even adding Roddy McLeod, uh, Roddy McLeod at this point in the offseason, I think is a savvy move for depth. And then offensively, the receiving core was pretty thin last year, and they've gone out and addressed it in a number of ways. You get a guy who would probably be a late first-round pick this year in this class and Elijah Moore. Uh, you get Cedric Tillman with your third-round pick. Uh, you, you already have, you know, you signed Marquise Goodwin, which is kind of a flyer on a guy who's a burner but has been hurt a lot in the last few years. You made a great deal for Amari Cooper. You could run down the list. He's done a number of really good things in terms of building this roster, not to mention pulling off the Watson thing, which if that pays off, you know, I think everybody's happy and everybody succeeds. But if it came down to that point, um, I think you could make a coaching change. You know, that's that's worst-case scenario since we're in May, but that's for Browns fans, it's worst-case yeah. scenario. But um, But I think overall, um, yeah, he would survive it. And I also, I also thought it was interesting that they brought in Schwartz because that's a guy who used to be head coach, has the experience. Um, not necessarily saying it's a coach-and-waiting type thing, but it would be an easy shift to interim for him if they were to do that. Again, that's not the scenario you want to envision at this point in the season, but I do think he's done enough. Even if all of his draft picks have not panned out, he's hit on enough of them and made enough savvy moves in the offseason that I think he could survive. Don't underestimate the power of uh, fan – I guess, uh, com- commentary. Town, yeah. I mean, li- Jimmy Haslam <laughs> apparently listened to a homeless man about drafting Johnny Manziel, so he might listen to the fans. You never know. Well, we don't, we, those are the dark days. We're not going to think back <laughs> to those days. Yeah, you're 100% right about that. Nick Shook joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Um, looking around, and listen, this is the probably the biggest thing that, as I get excited about a move like Zadarius Smith and what it means for the roster and how Andrew Barry's addressed all these needs, then all of a sudden I'm humbled by the fact that well, look around the AFC and just just look at the gauntlet that you have to face this year. Do you think the AFC East or the AFC North is a tougher division uh, coming up in 2023? Uh, I would say the East is on paper right now and in terms of notoriety. You're going to get the East Coast bias a little bit too. Um, because you have Buffalo, which has been a Super Bowl contender for the last three or four years and has not gotten over the hump. Um, you, you have Miami, which showed – you know, potential last year before the wheels kind of fell off and Tua had a couple concussions and then they opposing defense has kind of figured them out. You know, let's play less man. Let's play more zone, force them to pick apart the defense. That didn't really work out too well for the Dolphins, but they're talented and they're making moves as if they want to go win now, you know, the Jalen Ramsey deal being one of them. And then, of course, you have the Jets, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, the biggest media market in the country uh, gets a guy like Rodgers who always commands headlines. He was dominating the news cycle from small Green Bay, Wisconsin. He's going to do more than that in New York. Uh, we'll see if they live up to it because they were a really good football team before injuries hurt them last year. Uh, you know, before they lost Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, some injuries on the defensive side of the ball, and, of course, inconsistent quarterback play. They were playing very good football. And um, and so if they can put it all back together and, and – that, that last season, that first half of last season wasn't a fluke, then that's going to be a competitive team, too. That's three really solid teams in that division, and you never know what you're going to get out of New England. You know, a lot of their issues last year was the fact that they made a former defensive coordinator uh, an offensive coordinator, and it, and it failed accordingly. Now they got, they got a guy in Bill O'Brien who's called plays and earned head coaching jobs because of his play calling at the NFL level. So uh, they lurk as well. I think the AFC North is pretty wide open. You know, the Bengals have have proven to be the best team in the division, but I don't think anybody else is really too far behind. I think Pittsburgh did a really great job this offseason. They're going to be a lot better than they were last year, uh, provided Kenny Pickett can take that next step in development. You know, they had a great draft, and I was just sitting back going, wow, the Steelers are already back. Like, look at that. They made all the right moves again. Uh, so I think that anybody could win this division, and it's going to be, you know, knockdown drag out. And I think it's going to be really tough for the Browns coming out of that first month of the season when you got three divisional games in the first, what, four weeks. Uh, that's going to be a crucial point for them. Right out of the gate. So um, if they can survive that, they'll be right there in the thick of things, and I think it'll come down to the final month of the season in this division and it might in the East as well. 
Since we were talking about the AFC East a little bit, what are your expectations for Aaron Rodgers? Obviously, he had a down year last year, and people were starting to wonder if finally you're starting to see the cracks of old age. But you also got to remember, like, he loses his best weapon. It was a completely different offense in terms of a lot of the guys around him. Um, and there just wasn't the talent as much there. And now he's going to a different situation. Like, is it going to be flawless, you think? Or might it take some time? And can we get, will Aaron Rodgers get back to his MVP type form? So much of what makes these offenses, like the, the elite offenses, great is, is an understanding, um, you know, a rapport that you've built with somebody. And I think it's really hard to get on the same page with a bunch of inexperienced rookies or second year players. Uh, as pass catchers, and I think for him especially, he's a guy who has been in the league for a long time, wants things done a certain way, and it, and it takes players time to adjust, and I think we saw the, the, the results from that last year. I also, there's one throw he made against uh, the Rams last season where he missed his target by like 15 yards. I mean, it was, it was really ugly, and it was the first time I've seen him miss somebody like that in a long time, if ever. And he did that a few times this past season, and made me wonder, like, is he losing it? Like, is he, is he starting to lose it? Like, is this, is this the first sign? Um, I'm not convinced that he's going to go there and turn them into a Super Bowl contender. But I also tend to be a skeptic when it comes to things like this because the offseason hype machine, you know, it elevates teams into spotlights that they're not capable of handling. Let's look at how we, how we viewed the AFC West last year. Every team in the AFC West is going to be good. Denver and Russell Wilson, oh, my goodness. The Raiders, <laughs> look how they've loaded up. They added Chandler Jones, and, and they're responding to the Chargers getting Khalil Mack. And, and what ended up happening, too, those teams made the playoffs. One won the Super Bowl, one lost in Super Wild Card weekend. So I think the hype kind of overblows things from time to time. Um, but I also think that, you know, if Rodgers is Rodgers, even with a little bit of his decline, he's still going to be a massive upgrade over what they've had over the last few years. So I still think they're going to be a tough out, uh, at least in the regular season. But it's going to be, you know, it's tough, man. It's, it's tough to win this league because you've got to stay healthy. You've got to do a lot of things to go your way. And uh, this coaching staff doesn't have a ton of experience. So um, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I think the pairing with Nathaniel Hackett makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't think he makes sense as a head coach, as we learned last year, but he could work out as an offensive coordinator and having a bit of a rapport with Rodgers. But it's really tough to live up to expectations. So it'll be a good division. I think it'll produce some explosive football. But at the end of the day, I have a hard time going against the Bills at this point. Two more minutes with Nick Shook, NFL.com. Again, on Twitter, at the Nick Shook. You get into the schedule reveal stuff. Is it, is it exciting for you, or is it just kind of whatever? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm a company, man. What, what, I'll, what, um. I'll say, what I'll say, Nick, is like, I, for me, it's, I, I get the excitement of it, and I do like the idea of like seeing where these games are going to be played, and you know, where, or I guess not where they're going to be played, because you know where they're going to be played, but when they are and what the schedule looks like. I can get behind that. I hate, I think, all the lead-up to it where you get these leaks and like people just being stupid on Twitter and with, with the joking, oh, well, I heard the Browns are going to play 17 games and six against their division, like just this dumb stuff. It's like, just give me the schedule at 8 o'clock and I'm good. Yeah, um, but I think the NFL is really good at making everything into a tentpole event. For sure. I mean, look at what they've done with the draft. <laughs> they, trust me, as somebody who you know covers it on a daily basis, uh, everything is important now, even in May. And... Um, and people tune in, people watch, they're excited about it, and it's a good way for them to plan their football season. And, you know, all right, we got to circle this game. Week nine in this city, we're all going to go out there and go on a golfing trip and go to the game. I have friends who do that, and, and yeah. so this is an important day for them to do stuff like that. I think it's important, too, because, you know, everybody likes to play the schedule game. They like to sit back and count wins and losses, which is a fool's errand, of course, but um, it's fun. It's, it's good off-season fodder for entertainment and to pass the time until your football team takes the field again. So, you know, as somebody who covers it and everything else, it's, it's interesting to me because I get to kind of see, all right, when does this, does this team need to be successful? You know, if we're trying to project whether they're going to make the playoffs, 
can they survive this stretch? Like for the Browns, it's that first month. For some other teams, there's a period late in the season where they're on the road four out of the final six weeks and the division might be on the line. That's about as far as I go into it, though. Um, and to see who's on prime time because it gives you an indication of what the league, you know, thinks about certain players. And that's always intriguing, but it's not like I, I don't have it like on my calendar saying, oh, I can't wait for schedule release day, you know, <laughs> because I know eventually those games are going to be scheduled and then eventually I'm going to be covering them. It's just, uh, you know, it gives us some, some good information to, to build a bit of a preview, if you will. You, you talked a little bit about the Brown schedule. I know everyone's kind of worried about the that early stretch. I'm going to actually explain a little bit later. Here's a tease for you guys why I like that opening stretch of the schedule. But what did you see that you didn't like about it? And was there anything sort of positive that's good for the Browns, you think, with the way the schedule shaked out? Well, I thought it was a good indication of where the league believes they might land. The fact they only got two primetime games all year. Uh, you know, <laughs> and they got one of them out of the way in week two in Pittsburgh, which will be a good game to watch. But then not being on primetime again until Aaron Rodgers comes to town in week 17. That could be a big game. You know, that could yeah. be, that could figure out both teams' playoff positions. Uh, and, and, and so I understand why they did that. You get a home game on primetime, uh, Thursday nighter. Jets Browns has been a, a, a favorite of Thursday night football of the past. Go back to 2018 when Baker Mayfield uh, replaced Tyrod Taylor and, you know, led them to their first victory in more than a calendar year. It was quite a night. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, the fact that otherwise they're, they're playing in the 1 o'clock or the 4 o'clock West Coast window, uh, it was an interesting indication of where they might stand right now because, like, this is a team that made the playoffs two years ago and everybody had expectations for them. And they've fallen flat twice in the last two years and they still got the same head coach. So, I can understand the skepticism uh, regarding them and their opponents, but I mean, it's it's not that there's nothing I don't like about it. It's just um, I think that's going to be a really tough first month, and this is a franchise yeah. that traditionally has not been good at getting out of the gate fast when it comes to week one. But I will say this: people are going to be very, very hyped, additionally hyped for that Bengals game week one at uh, oh, what no. is now again Cleveland Brown Stadium, uh, because <laughs> look. That's a team that hasn't won in Cleveland in quite some time. Since, you know, the entirety of Joe Burrow's career, the Bengals have not won in Cleveland. And uh, it's, it's week one, but it's, it's a way to really take an early lead in the division against the uh, reigning division champion. He's Nick Shook, covers the NFL at NFL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook. Nick, always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy a couple months of downtime, and I'm sure we'll reconnect when the season picks back up in the fall. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. No doubt, Nick. Take care, man. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.